Hello, you're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR Radio Fitzroy, Victoria, on the land to the Wurundjeri, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters, we bring you environment and social justice stories. I'm Kerry Leigh Harding. Hello and welcome to Earth Matters. This week we welcome you to a program with our guest Shannon and his own initiative, My Extremely Long Walk. And it's a walk that will take Shannon some 700 or so kilometres from Melbourne's northern suburb of Coburg right through to Canberra, the nation's capital. I caught up with Shannon a short time ago as he explained his trip ahead. Uh, welcome to Earth Matters, Shannon. You're taking a walk from Melbourne to Canberra and we're catching up with you uh, just before you depart. Mm-hmm. And uh, currently, as we air this program, you're currently uh, walking on your way to Canberra. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to start off by asking you, where did this idea first come from for you to take a very extremely long walk for climate action to walk from Melbourne to Canberra. Yeah, so um, I had made a New Year's resolution to myself that I was going to engage on climate change to the level that I knew I should be. I think before this year, I was my head was a bit in the sand, like I think a lot of us can probably say at one point, our heads have been in the sand. Um, so I started reading, and the more I read, the more I realised drastic and urgent action needs to be taken um, and I saw Greta Thunberg from Sweden taking the train from Davos to the World Economic Forum um, as a statement on travelling in a low-carbon way, and I thought that was a really fantastic statement. So I thought, what's an extension of that? Walking is even more low-carbon. It's just my body. I don't need to rely on any fossil fuels whatsoever. Um, and so I decided I'll walk from Melbourne to Canberra. Um, I think it was also for me... a about staging a bit of a, a wake-up call for myself, um, doing something really drastic to sort of shock myself out of my stupor. And if that can be inspirational, inspirational to anyone else to, to sort of take drastic action to wake themselves up as well, then that's fantastic. Does the current media and the reporting on what's happening with climate change, has that had uh, quite a direct impact on you and your cause? Yeah, I mean, I think I have a lot of Google alerts on for climate change now, and I think the public and media consensus around how urgent action is needed on climate change is really changing. Something does feel different in the air. Um, I know that The Guardian now, in their weather forecast, puts um, uh, the carbon in the atmosphere, atmospheric carbon in their weather forecast for the day. So we're now considering... Um, human impacts in relation to the carbon we're putting into the air as something we need to be monitoring daily because it's it's just that dire. So yeah, I think seeing the changing attitudes around climate change and the conversations about how this upcoming election needs to be a climate election, yeah, there does seem to be a really strong shift shift in the air, which is long overdue and which I'm paying attention to. <laughs> 
And tell us about how do you actually prepare for such a journey? Of course, it's not something that one would do every day, take a walk, a very long, extremely walk from Melbourne to Canberra. Mm. How does one prepare? Are you a fitness kind of person or not so much? Tell me. Yeah, yeah well, I, I like to consider myself relatively fit. I run and stuff, but um, only relatively short distances, certainly not 700 Ks. Um, and when I first announced that I was going to be doing this, it was very much just sort of a, a spur of the moment declaration. I'm doing this. And I, I guess in that moment, didn't fully consider... Um, the planning that would be needed, but slowly, slowly that revealed itself. And yeah, there is an immense amount of planning that's taken place. So I've been working with a OT and personal trainer who developed a, um, a training schedule for me, which I've been following. Um, I've been... Does that include diet as well? I'm wondering. Yeah, um, not specifically. Like we've been talking a lot about the nutrition I'll need as I'm walking, and sort of planning for, for snacks and all of that. But no, not really. I mean, I have personal diet um, stuff that I'm thinking about actually in relation to climate change, which is I'm, I'm vegan and I eat vegan and I will continue to eat vegan across the walk um, as uh, factory farming of animals and big industrial farming of animals has a huge carbon footprint. Um, but no, in terms of um, diet and the walk, nothing's really changed for me. Yeah. And let's talk about logistics. Of course, you just mentioned earlier it's around 700 kilometres, is mm -hmm. that right? That's right, yeah. From Melbourne to Canberra. So I'm wondering, you've actually mapped out um, your journey. So you're yep. starting off in uh, Coburg North mm -hmm. in Melbourne. You'll make your way through to Whittlesea, I'm guessing straight up the Hume Highway. Yeah, well, I mm. was told that I'm not allowed to walk directly on the Hume Highway. So Is that right? No, you're not allowed to. So there I, you go. Thank yeah. you for educating me. I learn something new every day. Oh, no, not to walk home to my dad's house, which is up on the Hume Highway. There. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of, there's a lot of older roads that are parallel to the Hume most of the way. Of um, course, the yeah. old dual carriageway um, yeah. highway that we used to go on as kids, I yeah. guess, um, before the um, old big freeway. Yeah, so born. that's all still there. So while yeah. we'll be walking on, on those roads. And it goes from being sealed roads to sort of being um, unsealed dirt roads, um, depending on where I am. But, yeah. I'm wondering, what do your uh, friends and family think of uh, you and this journey you're embarking <laughs> on? Uh did they think uh, that uh, it was a good idea for you to be pursuing such a thing? Yeah, I mean, my friends are 100% behind me. They're very supportive and sort of very much on the same wavelength when it comes to climate change. Um, my parents were initially pretty freaked out. My mum was like, what are you doing? There was a lot of eye rolling. There was another crazy ploy from Shannon trying to get some change <laughs> through through government. Um, but I, but that was a good sort of motivation actually to be like, right, I do actually have to make sure I'm safe and make sure that people watching can have faith in this project as being well planned and well executed. Um, so it was actually good to have my parents sort of finger wagging and eyes on me saying, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Like, it's good to have that sort of questioning. What were they uh, questioning? What were they questioning you on? Yeah. Um, mostly around, around safety, like how how will your body handle it and where will you stop and will you be walking at night and all that sort of stuff. 
And will you be work- walking? Will you be walking at night? Is my next question. No, never at night. Only during the day, and then I stop in um, different communities along the way who have very kindly agreed to put me up. I'm wondering. I've got a question from Left Field. Mm-hmm. Um, do you just need one pair of uh, walking shoes or uh, trainers for this um, journey you're embarking on? Um, so I have two pairs of shoes. I have a good pair of hiking boots and then a pair of runners and I was told to sort of alternate them day by day so that your feet are being rubbed in different ways and that blisters aren't going to form. Yeah. So you just mentioned there you've got advice on on what to do along your journey. Where have you sought advice? Mm -hmm. Have you looked at other people who've um, walked such distances? Mm -hmm. What research have have you done personally? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So there's there's been we have a long and storied history of people walking across the country to Canberra to make their voices heard so I've tried to follow their journeys as much as I can I have a friend of a friend who walked to Canberra um to support refugee and asylum seeker rights um so I've had many conversations with her about her journey and what to look out for and how to be safe um there's also a fabulous documentary about a young indigenous man whose name I can't remember who walked from Perth to Canberra. Um, which is that is, right? Yeah, which is wow. a much, much longer journey. Uh, hello, that's a big journey. <laughs> yeah, it's right. pretty amazing. Yeah. And that, I think that's really available on YouTube, so people should definitely check it out. I wish I had the title in my head, but I don't. Um, but yeah, obviously, there's, there's a lot of expertise to draw on because a lot of people have done similar or bigger walks before. So, And of course, uh, you just mentioned the Aboriginal youth there, but we have had uh, Michael Long, who did the long walk, mm-hmm. of course, uh, yeah. all those years ago. Have you had a look at his walk uh, for your research? Yeah, I've, I've kind of had a look at everybody. Um, yeah, and he's definitely a big inspiration. It's pretty amazing work. And it's wonderful to see that um, that journey has gone on to create a life of itself with the long walk, which still happens mm. uh, every year at Dreamtime at the G, where people walk from Fed Square. It's a little, kind of a short walk now from Fed Square to the MCG, but it's mm. good to see that that long walk that Michael Long created for Aboriginal rights all those years ago has uh, still some wonderful life yeah, left absolutely. in it. Yeah. Let's talk about when you do actually reach Canberra. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is uh, your aim? What's your mission once you actually arrive uh, yeah. in the nation's capital? Well, um, so we have a petition going that is really the ultimate goal of the walk is to be gathering up signatures now and along the walk. And How can people access that? Yeah, so the petition it had an online component Um, which is now closed. We're going through the official parliamentary process, so we kind of have to do things by their rules. Um, And the reason for that is um, if you go through the official process, they have to... They legally have to develop a response to your demands, whereas if you just sort of do a change.org petition, they don't necessarily have to respond to it. So I chose to do it this way. You're all in the know. I'm learning a lot (laughs) here. Thank you, Shannon. (laughs) Of course. Um, But, yeah, so that online petition was just up when they chose it to be up and it's already finished which is unfortunate but we have a physical petition which can be downloaded from the website which is myextremelylongwalk.com um so there's a whole section there on the petition download it share it amongst your friends and then there's an address there canberra address that you can send it back to um and there's pros and cons to the physical nature of the petition obviously a con is that it's much harder to disseminate 
a physical petition and it's harder to convince people to take that up. But I think the pro is that if and when people do take it up, it's a really strong um, demonstration of the effort and the care that people have around this issue because they've gone above and beyond to collect those signatures. So I really do encourage people to download and print that petition and, and help me out, especially as I only have so many hands and so much time. <laughs> so they need to go to the website um, www.myextremelylongwalk.com? That's right, yes. Excellent. We'll yeah. keep promoting that for you Awesome. as well. What is it about climate change in Australia that's actually been brought to your attention that has caused to have you great concern with climate change? Yeah. What, what sort of things are, have you noticed that have caused you alarm? Yeah, um, so Australia is particularly vulnerable to climate change because climate change, it doesn't happen in a static way and in, in the same way to every place on Earth. So Australia is particularly vulnerable. We're going to see like quite sharp temperature rises, um, increased drought, increased bushfires, increased floods. Um, I mean, we're, we're already like very prone to drought in Australia and very prone to, um, to yeah, to sort of under delivering on food crops and stuff like that. So it's really important that we're protecting protecting ourselves as well as the whole planet. Um, and then we were just talking before about the um, the Great Barrier Reef is so, so vulnerable. There's some estimates that if we leave climate change unabated at the moment, it's just going to completely die, which is awful. It's completely awful. You're listening to Earth Matters and broadcast on the Community Radio Network with me, Kerry Lee. And I'm joined by guest Shannon today from his own initiative, My Extremely Long Walk. And it's a walk that will take Shannon from Melbourne right through to Canberra, the nation's capital. And as you can see from our conversation, I caught up with Shannon a short time ago as he explained his trip ahead. And I've recently seen on some previews of uh, the new film release series of uh, David Attenborough's Blue Planet, um, where he does cover the coral bleaching up on our Great Barrier Reef in Queensland. And uh, as a traditional owner for some parts along the coast of Queensland, it's actually heartbreaking to watch uh Watch the coral bleaching still happening as we've just observed for so many years. It's frustrating mm. and I don't think our government is actually doing enough to combat um, such an issue. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about the government? Do you think they're doing enough in Australia to combat climate change? Oh, absolutely not. The, um, the coalition government does not in any way take climate change seriously. They're being slowly dragged along with the rest of the debate because they know they have to. They know it's impossible in this day and age not to have some sort of climate policy. But, I mean, you take a look at their emission reductions targets, which are 26 to 28% on 2005 levels by 2030. That's a lot of numbers. But essentially, the Climate Change Authority recommended at least 45% to 65%. So dramatically higher than what the coalition has offered. And then we also look at the fact that they're looking to use carryover credits from the Kyoto Protocol period. So so basically cheating on their homework and not offering 
not offering real emissions reductions. So that I think it goes down to something like 15% or something once they take in those, those sort of cheating carryover credits. So, I mean, if anyone thinks the coalition treats climate change as the serious and real threat to life on this planet that it is, I mean, you're joking. They don't at all. <laughs> Of course, we are heading into uh, a federal election in the next coming months. Uh, Labor has already released their climate change policy. Have you had a chance to hear about that and what they're offering in delivering in the future if they do make their way into government? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had a bit of a look at Labor's policies. Um, I spoke recently to the Australian Conservation Foundation and they said they would give them about a 6 out of 10. Um, okay, not too bad. It's not too bad. But, I mean, um, obviously re- leaving room to improve. Absolutely. I mean, like, I think it's important to commend them on what's there. I mean, they take climate change seriously. There's a lot of people within the party who use the term climate emergency. They, um, they actually use that term in their national platform. There's a lot of people within the party who are very vocal about opposing the Adani coal mine. So at least we have with the Labor Party... Um, a sense that they know the seriousness of climate change. I think absolutely their emissions reductions need to be ratcheted up. Um, They need to be speaking more explicitly about um, how they plan to stop the Adani coal mine. Um, And I think their renewable energy targets could be, could be higher as well. But I mean, we have to commend them for what's there. Um, I think we can't get too mad at people for, um, for not doing everything we want them to when there is an effort there. So I think it's likely that they'll get into power of the two major parties on offer. I hope they do. Um, And, yeah, let's start working with them. Let's start with that strong base that they have and, and... and work harder. Let's get more ambitious. And I think uh, talking about ambitious and being ambitious, I think in their climate change policy uh, announcement, I'm pretty sure that I heard that they will put forward and create a minister for climate change. Is this something that you've heard in the policy debate? Yeah. Mm. Um, so I believe that Mark Butler at the moment is their shadow minister for climate change. Um, the coalition has no minister for climate change. We have an environment minister. We have a resources minister. No minister for climate change. So Thank that's an- you. Thank you for educating me on that. So we oh, already sorry. have a climate change minister. Oh, no. So not at no. the moment. Okay. Co- the coalition does not have right. a climate change minister. Okay. But right. um, the Labor in um, in opposition have a shadow a minister for climate change. So I believe they'd, yeah. they'd give him that position once they were in power, which is great as well to have an office dedicated to climate change. I mean, it's really the bare minimum at this point. <laughs> so the coalition is really behind the eight ball and not having a minister for climate change. My next question to you is uh, to talk about, um, I guess, finances. How do you fund something like this personally, mm. uh, your trip? Obviously, um, you won't be working during this time mm-hmm. or, or bringing in any income. Mm. So uh, how does that work for you? Have you had any financial support for you to get on the road and walk from Melbourne to Canberra for climate change? Uh, the short answer is no. I'm, I'm self-funding it for the most part. Um, I think that was a really conscious choice for me because I wanted, I wanted people's engagement. I wanted their brains and their time and their effort. I didn't want their money, because um, I think a lot of the time we throw money at a charity and then we sort of wash our hands of, 
of the effort that really we should be putting in. So I wanted to just put the question of money aside. I'll handle that. Can you help me? Can you start having conversations about climate change? Can you take up this petition? That's more, that's what's more helpful to me. And who have you been consulting with through this process? Um, I've had lots of meetings with some very wonderful and supportive people. A lot of members of the Greens Party, Adam Bant, Richard Di Natale. Um, I met with the CEO of the Australian Conservation Foundation, Kelly O'Shaughnessy, who was really wonderful. Um, actually, a family connection had me meeting with the head of the Scottish Environmental Protection Agency, which was pretty random, but also very wonderful. He's a, he's an Australian individual, so that was nice to meet him. How fabulous is that? And what did he have to offer you in terms of your conversation with him on climate change and, I yep. guess, things that they might be doing over in Scotland compared to what we're doing here in Australia. Mm. Mm. Our conversation was really, really brief, to be honest with you, so we didn't, we didn't get too much into it. Um, I didn't mean to be too nosy there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I wish I had more to say on what was happening in Scotland. Scotland's a very beautiful country, and I'm sure they have their own probably very unique climate change challenges. The, the climate's very different there. But as to what they're doing, I'm not too sure. Do you think enough young people like yourself and your generation coming mm. through, do you think everyone is aware of the issues that we should be aware when it comes to climate change? Mm. Mm. Um, I think the generation below me, so I'm 29, and the generation below me is is very informed um, and they're doing amazing work. I mean, we saw the school strikes globally recently, which were wonderful. Um, so I'm really impressed with, with them and... I've been writing and thinking a lot about um, about how my generation, which is now in a position of seeing a younger generation come up behind us. So are you a millennial or a Gen Y? I believe I'm technically a millennial. Would we say that the younger generation coming up now are also millennials? I think there's a... Yeah. They would be? Okay. Well, I, I at least feel like I'm approaching 30. I'm turning 30 this year and I do feel that there's another group of young people coming up behind me and I watch them and I think about what my cohort was like at that that age and I can't help but think that we were not taking climate change seriously enough and I think people in my sub-generation, I don't know, people of my age, um, I think we could afford to be more engaged and I think that it's, we're kind of on the cusp because I guess we're, we're still youngish people but I think it's also time for us to um, step up more into adult roles and start start actively seeking out knowledge on climate change and, and acting in a stronger way. Because I feel like I I was not up until recently doing all that I could. And I feel like we all need to ask some questions of ourselves to see if we are doing all that we can. And you mentioned that right at the beginning of our conversation that you felt that you weren't doing all you could to take action for climate change. Mm. Was there a particular moment where that seed was planted for you? Mm. Mm. I can't pinpoint a, a particular moment. All I know is that I was having a lot of moments where I'd read one article and just be like, ooh, things look really dire. That looks really scary. Am I doing enough? I'll just put that to the side for now. And those moments started to become more and more frequent until I realised, okay, no, I need to question myself seriously here. And I, I found that the answer was no, I'm not doing enough. So how to do more? Yeah. 
And how can we do more as consumers, like people mm. like myself in our everyday lives? Mm. What can we do to combat climate change, if you like? Yeah. yeah. What would be your advice to people like myself? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's there's often the conversation that we either take personal behaviour changes within our lives or we're activists and we're reaching out to governments and big players I think the time for doing one or the other is past. I think we need to be thinking, how do we do both? How do we make conscious choices in our individual lives? But then how do we uh, multiply the impact of those choices by talking to governments, talking to local representatives, state representatives, federal representatives, companies, industries? Um, How do we take our individual choices and make sure that they're having an impact on the whole scheme of things. Because the the fact of the matter is I could go home, I could live a perfectly angelic life in terms of carbon emissions, I could compost, I could be plastic-free, I could buy renewable energies for my electricity at home. But the fact is if we're not changing things on a national and international scale, those effects are going to be a bit dwarfed. But I think at the same time, if I, as a consumer, am able to live with myself and say I'm doing all the right things, I put myself in a strong position to ask governments, to ask industries, to ask companies, I'm doing my bit, what are you doing? So I think if we all take up this sense of responsibility that's both individual and collective, I think that's how we're going to get a culture of strong action on climate change. As we air this interview on Earth Matters today, you're currently uh, into your journey as we've caught up with you for this conversation uh, just before you left. Yep. I'm wondering uh, if people see you along the way. Mm. Um, I'm sure they'll be beeping their horns at <laughs> you. I'm sure you would welcome that. What should they be looking out for? Will you be wearing a high-vis vest? Do you have a car that's accompanying you? Mm-hmm. Um, how can people along the way from Melbourne um, right through to Canberra, how will they know it's you walking yeah. along these roads? Yeah, I'll often, to give you a beep yeah, yeah. <laughs> or two. I'll often be wearing a T-shirt that says my extremely long walk for climate action on it big orange and green thing, so you'll see that. You've been listening to Earth Matters, broadcast on the Community Radio Network with me, Kerry Lee, and today on the program you've my extremely long walk, and it's a walk that has taken Shannon from Melbourne's northern suburbs of Coburg North right through to Canberra, the nation's capital, all in the name of climate change. If you want to make contact with Shannon, you can email him on myextremelylongwalk at gmail.com. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria, on the lands of the Wurundjeri, and is broadcast nationally across the country on community radio stations, thanks to the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Federation for their generous financial support. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page, Earth Matters 3CR Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at EarthM Radio. If you'd like to listen or share this or previous editions of the program, you can find all our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters.
Well, that's all for today. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the program and thanks for your company this week. And the Earth Matters team will be back again next week with more deadly green social justice news from all over this awesome planet. I'm Kerry Lee. I'll see you next time. 